Hey, everyone. Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. This week, we're looking at the first reading for June 20th, 2021, and it is 1 Samuel 17, the David and Goliath story, probably one of the best known stories in all of the Bible. (laughs) And Tim is up for this old fan favorite. So are you slaying some giants this week, Tim? (laughs) Well, we'll have to see. Uh, As you mentioned, this is the classic David and Goliath story, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And I I bet you'll agree with me here. I have to say, I often find these well-known stories to be the toughest ones to preach. Mm-hmm. Because my, my sort of go-to tool as a preacher is usually helping people to get to know texts that they haven't really thought about much. Yeah. But with a passage like 1 Samuel 17, I mean, what is there to say? I know, right? It feels like all of your tricks are already out there in the open. So what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that can definitely be a challenge. Um, I think one of the th- fun things about that, too, is to see if you can find a new angle into a really familiar text and, and mm. kind of help people hear it in a new way. So uh, what'd you find? you find anything particularly fresh on the organic Bible passages section this week? <laughs> right. Well, that that is actually the way I've tried to think about this. How can a preacher take this story that everyone knows as the classic underdog story and look mm-hmm. at it in some sort of new light? And I think there are a couple pieces that open up something in the text that we don't usually get when we see it as just sort of the the prototypical underdog story. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's complicate that a little bit. Let's hear it. All right. Well, first of all, a bit of historical context that many readers don't know about. Mm. These early stories about David's rise to power as one of Israel's first kings went through a long process of writing and rewriting and recycling that shaped them into the form that we have them in our Bibles. And 1 Samuel 17 in particular is probably a very late addition to the David traditions. We don't have to get way into the weeds here, but if you go back and read carefully, you'll see that just before the David and Goliath thing, David is serving as a kind of music therapist for for King Saul (laughs) in the palace, right? (laughs) And then after the Goliath thing and its aftermath, picking back up in chapter 18, verse 10, we're back in the palace and David's still there as a musician. Mm. So you can pretty easily see how chapter 17 plus a little bit has been pasted into the middle of a different David tradition. And, you know, reinforcing this uh, in our section, chapter 17, 55 to 58, has Saul hearing about David and wondering who in the world this kid is, as Mm. if they'd never met before. Mm. And there's all sorts of other little details that have led most scholars to date our story quite late, including the, the precise description of Goliath's armor. Mm. which matches that of a 7th century BCE or later Greek heavy soldier, the kind that would have been around fighting as mercenaries on behalf of Pharaoh Necho in the time of Judah's King Josiah. Oh, that's fascinating. So there really are a lot of details about kind of the dating of this and where it all falls. Mm -hmm. And just, just a word for our folks, if this is the first time you've heard about Bible passages being pasted into other Bible passages. This was an incredibly common thing in ancient Near Eastern time. This is just the way stories were passed down and sometimes added to or shifted in some way. It was very, very common. So Mm -hmm. it may feel Mm -hmm. kind of weird to think about the Bible that way. Uh, But I mean, just for example, there's another story of someone else killing the giant Goliath at a different part in the Bible, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Second uh, Samuel twenty one nineteen credits a soldier named Elchanan with dispatching Goliath. <laughs> so really, all of this together helps add up to the conclusion that it wasn't until quite late in the development of these traditions about David that this story came to occupy its prominent place here in First Samuel. And and like you say, this is a pretty common thing. It, it happens all over the Bible. But what it does is it, it raises new questions for us. Mm-hmm. Um, why was this story added here? What yeah. what sort of value does it add to our understanding of David and the traditions about David? Yeah. So so what does it add? Yeah. Good question. (laughs) But before I answer that, the other bit I want to throw in here is about the way that this story has been so individualized in our Mm -hmm. common Western reception of it. I think every time I've heard the story in a sermon or a Bible study, or even in sort of popular cultural imagination, it's made into a kind of metaphor for the individual challenges that you or I might face. You know, what's the Goliath that you're facing right now? Or your problems seem to be way out of proportion to your ability to handle them. But you know what? You can overcome because the battle is the Lord's, right? Yeah. We tend to assume that the story is about me as an individual and that I'm represented in the story by David. And I think both Mm -hmm. of those are places where preachers can push their congregation's interpretation a bit. So, um, To answer your question, going back to the edition of this story in the late 7th century BCE, and by the way, I should say that I'm getting some of this from Israel Finkelstein, who's uh, an Israeli archaeologist and biblical scholar. So um, just just as King Josiah of Judah is pushing his own national reform movement, and you might remember that Josiah is a Judahite king who was centralizing the the worship of God in Jerusalem and trying to sort of get back to a, um, you know, Adonai only, Jerusalem only, very sort of Deuteronomy influenced style of centrality. Nice. And that was in the seventh century BCE, right? Yes. Yes. Sort of the the last decade or so of the 600s BCE. Mm. Anyway, at that same time, the pharaoh in Egypt, Pharaoh Necho, is also working on a reform movement of his own, a kind of make Egypt great again campaign (laughs) that's pushing into the eastern Mediterranean corridor. He's preparing to take on Assyria, the big empire, and he's setting up along the coast in areas that were formerly Philistine territories. Mm. And so there's there's a clash that's impending here. Mm. One possibility then is that this story about David and Goliath was circulated at that time to encourage the relatively weak and unimpressive Judahites that even though they're small compared to the power of Egypt, which is represented in the story by the Philistine Goliath, dressed Mm -hmm. up as one of Egypt's mercenary soldiers. Nice. With God's help, they, like David, can beat the odds and rout the enemy. In other words, even though the story is told as a duel between two individuals, the story is meant to give hope to a vulnerable community. Mm. This is why I think David is the hero of the story. Elchanan, the other dude who takes down Goliath in (laughs) 2 Samuel 21, is just some guy, right? But David can represent symbolically the whole people of Judah. So bringing David into this story and making this story the springboard of David's own rise to prominence made this a paradigmatic story that draws in the whole people of Judah. I think that Mm. broadens the story beyond the hackneyed, like, what are your personal giants approach? 
This is about God defending the vulnerable against the powerful. And it's worthwhile to find the communal resonances of that story today as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, both historically and in modern times, because historically, Judah is like the pathway between Egypt and Assyria. Mm -hmm. So if these two massive giants are getting ready to battle each other, they're going to come through Judah to get to the other one. So, so Judah is not only vulnerable to another larger empire, they're vulnerable to a big fight between two larger empires as well. And that had to be just terrifying. So, I mean, historically, I think it makes a lot of sense to pull out those communal resonances. And then today as well, could you say a little bit more about how one might preach this as a communal story rather, or, or do you think just mentioning it to help broaden people's minds a little bit? No, I think it's really important to think about how this hits us as communities. I mean, the other thing I wanted to mention about where we find ourselves in the story, we always, I mean, I was going to say we tend to, but you know, we always identify <laughs> with David in the story. <laughs> right. But the story is quite clear about David's social position. He's just a kid from the country. He can't even wear the armor that Saul offers him. He joins the battle completely vulnerable. He's small, he's inexperienced, he's ill-equipped. All that he has going for him is that he's willing to rely on God in the face of the foe. Mm. But if you're a part of a, a community that's um, like American reading this story, <laughs> then in the context of any international relationship, we're the Goliaths, we're the Philistines, mm. not David. Mm. And in the many struggles for justice around the world, and even in our American context, White America is definitely Goliath and its communities of color and women and LGBTQ people and indigenous communities and immigrants, differently abled, et cetera, who are the Davids in mm -hmm. our world. And I think preachers can affirm, as we always have with the story, that the battle is the Lord's. But whether that's a hopeful message or a threatening message depends on whether your community is the powerless or the powerful. Mm -hmm. Now, my own, my own demographic makeup puts me among the community of the powerful. And so I read this story as a kind of wake-up call. Mm. I can coast through life on the power and privilege that are my social inheritance. But if I do so, that's going to put me at odds with the Lord who sides with the vulnerable. So this is a call for people like me to support and amplify, elevate, ally ourselves with the vulnerable in the world, because that's where we're going to find God. Mm. And for communities who can identify with David in this story, God is with you. The fight for justice and equity can be achieved because God is on your side. God is with you. There's, this is a hopeful story for those communities. Mm, yeah, that really does nicely bring out that communal resonance of it. I, I was just sitting here thinking about how one might craft a sermon that is is written from the point of Goliath mm. and, and just, you know, what that just would be a fascinating and really interesting thing to try to do. How do you portray Goliath's internal monologue? Is he, is he scared as a big giant and knowing he's, he's going to fall as soon as the next big giant comes? Is there something admirable about this little kid who's taking him on? Is he just completely arrogant? You know, how do you, how do we find, how do we flip the script? What would it sound like to find ourselves in Goliath and, and what might that sermon bring out in this text differently? Oh, that would be fascinating. I would love to yeah. hear that sermon. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, before we end, I, I wanted to add one little postscript, which is kind of a potential preaching pitfall. Mm. If uh, preachers, if you do go this route of kind of drawing in some of this historical context for the David and Goliath story, you should know uh, whether or not you wrap this into your sermon that when King Josiah eventually did meet Pharaoh Necho at Megiddo, Josiah was killed. <laughs> and within a generation, the whole kingdom of Judah had fallen to the empire of Babylon. Mm. So even though this story holds out hope on a sort of theological and existential level, it doesn't mean that the Davids among us will always win out if they're faithful, if they're just faithful to God. Mm. It's not that kind of math. Mm. But it's also worth noting that even after that devastating loss, this story endured in the biblical witness, right? It's, mm. it's that powerful of a story and its hope transcends particular historical setbacks, which, you know, we've experienced in our own time as, mm. as, as people that we look to to help take on the powerful structure of the world, you know, maybe fail in the short term. But we still have mm. this hope for the long term that God is on the side of the vulnerable and we'll see, see that project through. Mm. So mm. I wanted I wanted to at least mention that too, so you don't set it up as if Josiah was gonna <laughs> take on Pharaoh Necho and David beats <laughs> Goliath, yay! <laughs> and everyone gets ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. I think that's a really. I mean, I think you set out to find a new, fresh angle on this text, and I think you've done it. There's a lot in here that could lend itself to preaching. So thanks, Tim. Sure thing. Thanks to all of you for listening. Now, next week, we've got a very special episode with an exceptional scholar. Dr. Kathleen O'Connor is one of the foremost experts on trauma literature in the Hebrew Bible. And she's going to come and talk through some of Lamentations with us next week. And we might even broaden the conversation from the little bitty bit we get in the RCL to Lamentations as a whole. So for Bible study purposes, preaching purposes, or just general faith purposes, it's going to be a great conversation. Mm -hmm. I hope you'll join us. We've got lots of these kinds of conversations on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. Check us out there or download us wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Happy preaching. <laughs>